Before we begin, let me take a moment to tell you what you're in for. The story I'm about to share with you comes from the universe of the Traveler's Gate trilogy by Will White, and only if you've read those books do you have the full training necessary to handle information from that realm. This story was previously released as part of the Traveler's Gate Chronicles short story collection, so if you've read that already, I have good news. You've already survived exposure to its incredible power. The only difference today is that you'll be experiencing it with your ears instead of your eyes. If you haven't read the Traveler's Gate books, you may not be able to harness the full energy of these stories. You can try if you'd like, but side effects of unqualified exposure may include confusion, lack of comprehension, or spontaneous combustion. If you're the kind of person that wants to prepare yourself and read the books first, you can find House of Blades, the first book in the Traveler's Gate trilogy, on Amazon or Audible. It will give you the guidance necessary to comprehend these stories without bleeding from the ears. However, if you know that you are unqualified and have decided that this story isn't for you, then we understand and wish you a fond farewell. May we meet again someday, you beautiful stranger. For those of you still with me, we're going together into the pieces of the Traveler's Gate world that weren't covered in the main books, unexplored and unknown corners of the territories. We're going off the edges of the map, and here, there be dragons. The Steel Labyrinth Diligence and humility are abundant in Tartarus. To truly fight as a unit, you must work without complaint and suppress your selfish pride. No territory teaches these lessons better than the Steel Labyrinth. There is no such thing as a lone traveler of Tartarus. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 6, Red 296th Year of the Damascan Calendar Second year in the reign of Queen Deianira III, twelve days until spring's end. Everywhere Valen looked, he saw swords. The tiles in the floor were made of a thousand blades, hammered flat in an interlocking pattern. From the ceiling hung a forest of sharp metal, honed to a razor's edge. Each wall bristled with hundreds of needle-tipped knife points and the three travelers standing in front of him each had a sword pointed straight at his chest. The young woman in the middle was in her mid-twenties, roughly Valen's age, and the patch on her uniform indicated she was a lieutenant in some overlord's private army. Her right eye was covered in a black patch, and she had her long hair tied behind her back. State your name, your rank, and your allegiance. Keep your hands away from your weapon. Casually, Valen rested a hand on his sword's hilt. Aren't Damascan soldiers supposed to keep their hair short? It's not like I care, but I thought it was regulation. According to Deianira, Valen had three bad habits. His first, he talked far too much, even in situations where he should keep his mouth shut. The lieutenant's grip tightened, and she took a threatening step forward. If you do not state your name and allegiance, I have no choice but to treat you as an agent of Enosh and deal with you accordingly. To either side of her, her fellow Tartarus travelers spread out to keep Valen encircled. Valen tried to keep his face serious. He really did, but he couldn't help a small smile. Out of curiosity, how would you treat me if I were an agent of Enosh? Another bad habit. He taunted his opponents. He didn't have to, he supposed, but it was so easy. Everyone took combat so seriously all the time. Because it was a matter of life and death didn't mean you couldn't have a little fun with it. A hand brushed Valen's shoulder as one of the soldiers tried to seize his sword arm. He should have moved faster. 
which brought to mind Valen's third habit and the one that came up most often. He loved a good fight, so he started as many as possible. More than he should, to tell the truth. But he saw himself as a helpless prisoner of his own impulses. Nothing got his blood up quite like a good brawl. As a way of keeping himself in line, he always tried to wait until the other man threw the first punch. No one had punched him this time, but surely grabbing him was just as bad. They wanted to take Valen prisoner as a suspected killer from Enosh, and if they succeeded, how would he do his job? Valen's elbow crunched into the soldier's nose. Warm blood spurted onto Valen's arm, and the traveler let out a shout of pain. If I really were from Enosh, that would have been a knife, Valen said. Did you really think it was a good idea to try and grab someone you thought was a dangerous assassin? The lieutenant seemed stunned for a second. In Valen's experience, people often reacted that way when he stopped to chat in the middle of a fight, but she recovered quickly. While Valen was still talking, she lunged, her sword point bleeding the way. It was exactly the move they taught Damascan twelve-year-olds in their first year of fencing school. Valen slapped the sword away with the back of his hand and stepped forward, grabbing the traveler by her collar. Stab, you're dead, Valen said. You're a Tartarus traveler in the labyrinth. Surely you can do better. He shoved her backwards and she stumbled, barely managing to keep her feet. The third of the trio had raised his sword, but he changed his mind and knelt, pressing a hand to the metal floor of the steel labyrinth. A hissing sound echoed through the hall as the mysterious mechanical contraptions of this territory whirred to life. Valen's smile widened. See? There we go. With a sound like a sail snapping in the wind, half a dozen spears launched from the far end of the hall, flying straight for Valen. They passed harmlessly around the three Tartarus travelers. Valen almost thought one of the spears actually corrected itself in mid-flight to avoid the lieutenant. In the split second it took the spears to reach him, Valen had his sword drawn. It was a standard Damascan longsword, forged for him by the best smiths in Cana. Deanira had bought it for him only a couple of months ago as a winter's end present. He only hoped it wouldn't break. The first spear reached his right leg, and he barely stepped out of the way in time. The second he had to kick out of the air. The third he dodged by leaning to the right, and the fourth simply missed. The fifth and sixth spears flew true, and he didn't have the time to dodge. With both hands on the hilt, he brought his sword crashing onto the first spear, striking it down with a shower of sparks. Without a second to pause, he swept his blade to the right, knocking the final spear off course and sending it spinning in midair. The butt of the spear smacked into his ribs, but without enough force to do any actual damage. The spears clattered to the sword-patterned floor in a crash of falling metal. Valen slid his sword back into its sheath. Now that was a rush. I'll have to come back here. Good practice. His heart pounded with exhilaration, and at last he felt the old fire in his blood. It was all too rare these days that something challenged him. The three travelers were still on the ground. They weren't unconscious, were they? He didn't think he'd hit any of them too hard. The lieutenant stared at him as though he had started to glow. How did you do that? Years of training and experience, a good night's sleep, and loads of natural talent. The man with the bleeding nose raised himself to one knee. Who are you? He choked out. Oh, right. Valen glanced around the hall until he spotted what he was looking for, a canvas satchel leaning against the spiked steel wall. He'd dropped it there as the three Tartarus travelers attacked him. In the front pocket of my bag, there's a piece of paper. Could you grab it for me? 
the lieutenant exchanged a look with one of her subordinates. After a few seconds, she reached warily into the front of the bag and plucked out a crumpled, browned sheet of paper. Deanira sent me, Valen explained. She thought you might need some help. The lieutenant's eyebrows drew down, so close together that it looked like she was trying to glare a hole in the paper. She flipped it around, showing him the red wax seal on the other side. This is the royal seal, she said. By Deanira, do you mean Deanira III? Our queen? How many Deaniras do you know? Valen asked. I've only ever met the one. Didn't you ask for help? He reached out for the paper. In what looked like an unconscious reflex, the lieutenant clutched it tighter. We asked for reinforcements and advice, actually, from our overlord, not from Cana. Valen didn't know how the queen had intercepted a message from Tartarus, but he had learned long ago not to underestimate her ability to ferret out secrets. My strength and considerable experience are at your disposal, he said. I also took it upon myself to evaluate your combat skills. The lieutenant winced and looked away. I can only say that, unlike many travelers, we're actually weaker inside our territory than outside it. He had assumed as much. Tartarus had a well-earned reputation as a deadly combat territory, but much of their strength came from their ability to summon their weapons almost instantly. Inside the territory itself, they couldn't summon weapons directly. He knew that, but he couldn't help feeling disappointed. But I have no excuse, the lieutenant continued, to Valen's surprise. We took you too lightly, and you were gentler than we deserved. Thank you. That may have been a first. Usually, the people Valen defeated showed one of three reactions, fear, anger, or disbelief. The lieutenant didn't seem resentful at all, but he supposed carrying a letter with the royal seal on it could have simply impressed her. Perhaps that was all it was. Still, he wasn't sure how to respond. No need for thanks. I was rougher than I should have been. Deanira would have passed out from shock if she heard those words coming from his mouth. Besides, I was looking forward to the opportunity to come to Tartarus. I've never spent much time here. I can't imagine I'll find what I'm looking for, though I guess you never know. One of the other travelers spoke up. What are you looking for? Dragons, Valen said simply. The soldier with the bloody nose snorted, and Valen shot him a look to shut him up. The lieutenant looked completely lost. But dragons aren't real, she said. Are they? Valen sighed. He had delivered this lecture a thousand times, and sometimes he got sick of doing it. In Naraka, there are black-skinned lizards that breathe fireballs. In Endros, there are huge flying drakes that spit lightning. In the lowest levels of Ornheim, there's a species of burrowing worm that hurls sparks and is intelligent enough to speak. With all that, why shouldn't there be dragons? But, the lieutenant began, but Valen kept going. And no, I know what you're going to say. Those aren't dragons. I'm looking for a real dragon. Strong, intelligent, flies, breathes fire. A dragon. We'll find one in a territory one of these days. Mark my words. Valen had seen plenty of draconic creatures, but nothing gave him the sense of majesty he had always pictured in the dragons of legend. Dragons should be more magical, he guessed. And somewhere out there, in one territory or another, he'd find one. He only had to keep looking. I see, the lieutenant said, in a voice that said she didn't see at all. Clearly, she had lost the thread of the conversation a while back. You've seen many territories, one of the other travelers said, in a transparent attempt to change the subject. But I haven't seen you summon anything. What kind of traveler are you? I'm not a traveler, Valen said. I don't have bonds to any territory. 
I go from one to another doing what I can. That's probably why they call me the Wanderer. The three travelers exchanged glances, but they had nothing to say. The way back to the nearest Damascan base was tricky, and Valen was soon lost. Every half an hour or so, though it seemed completely unpredictable, the labyrinth whirred and shifted. The hallways shuffled, the floors separating and sliding apart, new gaps opening in the walls. Once, a dead end transformed itself into a room full of whirling circular blades, inches in front of Valen's face. The Tartarus travelers took such things in stride, adjusting their course accordingly every time the maze shifted. They barely spoke about their route at all, following a mental map they all evidently shared. As they walked, they answered Valen's questions. There were very few permanent outposts in the steel labyrinth, at least none permanently manned. By order of the overlord, no Damascan travelers were allowed to sleep in their territory. There had been disappearances, including a handful of tragic incidents in which the sleeping travelers had been trapped in rooms with no exits. Sometimes, when they woke up, they were able to make gates and escape. Other times, they would be skewered by traps while still unconscious. Thus, the rule about sleeping in the maze. The Tartarus travelers understood these rules and seemed to accept them. Valen had been summoned for a more urgent reason. Something has been killing travelers in our unit, the lieutenant, whose name was Roshan, said as she gently guided Valen away from a pit of gnashing mechanical traps. They're usually alone, and they fail to report in. When we find them next, it's only their mangled bodies. You think it's Enosh? We think one of them has disguised themselves as one of us, Lieutenant Roshan said. We think he or she is ambushing us when we're alone, or else has summoned something to do it for them. She seemed more disgusted at the thought of a summoned killer. Was that because she was afraid of monsters from another territory, or because she hated the idea of someone too cowardly to do their own killing? Valen had heard odd things about notions of honor in Tartarus. I'll need to see the body. I can't guarantee I'll find anything helpful, but I'll do what I can. He wasn't rude enough to say it to her face, but he was certainly more likely to know something useful than any of these Tartarus soldiers. He had devices in his satchel that might come in handy. You're more likely to find something than we are, Roshan said, impressing him yet again. We're going to stop by and pick up some more weapons before we show you the scene, just in case. Her voice trailed off as the wall in front of them parted, revealing a man lying on his back in a small pool of blood. Too small, Valen noted immediately. The corpse was partially curled around a circular chest wound as big around as a man's head. Anything that caused a wound that size should have left a puddle of blood twice as deep. To her credit, Lieutenant Roshan did not hesitate. She snapped orders to her two subordinates, and they quickly drew their swords and positioned themselves around the body, watching the corners of the room for movement. It was not a large room, perhaps five paces to a side, and the only visible entrance was the one through which they had come. But if Valen had learned anything from his short time in Tartarus, it was that the labyrinth could open up a new door any time and anywhere. I take it this isn't the body you meant to show me, Valen said. The captain's body is in a coffin, Roshan said in a tight voice. We left the blood where he was killed, in case we needed to examine it again. This is a totally different room. Valen dipped his fingertips in the blood, still warm. He gestured to the corpse. Who is this? He was meant to stay with the captain's coffin. Alone, she nodded. This is the fourth victim, the second one taken right under my nose. Roshan stared straight at the wall, and Valen left her to her thoughts. He had nothing productive to say. Besides, the body was more interesting.
He ran a finger along the edge of the wound, coming up with a thin layer of black grit. Ash, perhaps? If so, they were most likely looking for a killer from Naraka or maybe Endros. He examined the body for another five minutes before he came up with another source of the black dust. Under the fingernails this time, as though the soldier had managed to scratch his attacker. Valen scraped out a little of the dust and rubbed it between two fingers. Against his better judgment, he placed a little on his tongue. He spat it out immediately. It didn't taste foul. Worse, it tasted like good topsoil. That narrowed his list of possibilities down to one. Everybody who died was alone, he asked, to be sure. They were. Then I'm afraid I can probably tell you what killed them, Valen said. And you're not going to like it. All three Tartarus travelers turned to face him. A struggle. The room fell into a long stretch of silence. The monster from the children's rhyme. Good little girls they must obey, or else the struggle will take them away. The struggle is real. One of the male travelers coughed to cover up a laugh. Valen knelt and began rummaging through his pack, wishing he had packed the stone amulet he had once unearthed in Ornheim. It had been designed specifically to block the attack of a struggle. Strugel's unnative to Ornheim, though based on the way it hunts, some naturalists believe it originated in Asphodel. He had a dagger here that could heat itself red hot but never lose its shape. Now, if he got close enough to use a dagger, the Strugel would simply eviscerate him. It locks onto feelings of loneliness, uncertainty, isolation, and it uses them to identify its prey. Its favorite tactic is the ambush. Some people believe it feeds on the fear and surprise of its victims as much as their flesh and blood. The frozen horn he had picked up in Helgard, perhaps? Maybe it could banish the struggle back to the territory from whence it came. But no, blowing the horn in Tartarus was too risky. It might banish whole rooms from the labyrinth around them, leaving them to fall right through the floor. Tartarus travelers would normally be a good match for a struggle, Valen continued. You summon quickly, you're usually armored, and you're rarely alone. It's hard for a struggle to target someone like you. But that's when you're outside your territory. If you're here, and you don't know what you're facing, you're little better off than an ordinary person. These days, it almost never occurred to Valen that he, too, could be considered an ordinary person. He had certainly never thought of himself as ordinary. How do we catch it? One of the men said. We don't, Lieutenant Roshan responded, reluctance heavy in her voice. We tell everyone we can about it. We let the Overlord know what we're up against. We prepare, and we hit it together. Lieutenant! The man began, but he let the statement hang. Valen thought he saw the problem. He wasn't the most familiar with Tartarus travelers, but they had a reputation for their prickly sense of honor. He didn't fully understand it. Honor seemed like an unnecessary set of arbitrary rules to him, but he could at least accept it. Is there some reason you might want to catch this thing yourself? Valen asked. He kept rummaging around in his satchel. Surely something in his collection would come in handy. As I said, Two victims now have died under my protection, the lieutenant said, including my commanding officer. The overlord has yet to send a replacement for him, but when he does, I have no doubt I will be at least demoted. Capturing or killing the beast myself would go a long way toward restoring my honor, but that won't happen. Why not? She met his gaze levelly. Because it's not about me. It's about saving lives. The smart move is to regroup, report, and form a plan of attack. Aha, Valen said. At last, he had found something worth looking for. It was a plain gold medallion, unmarked, that gave its wearer a vague sense of danger. 
He had received it as a gift from a Tartarus traveler, actually, who had found it in a locked chest deep in the heart of the labyrinth. Valen was convinced the medallion was unfinished. There had to be some way of improving it, even if no one else would try. But it would be perfect against an ambush predator like the Strugel. Fortunately for you, Valen said, I rarely do the smart thing. As soon as the words were out of his mouth, he realized how they sounded, but he plunged ahead anyway. I've hunted Strugel before, in teams and alone. You can evade them, you can trap them, and you can kill them. All you need is bait. Roshan shook her head. I told you, I won't. Let me put this to you another way, Lieutenant, Valen said. I'm going to find a Strugel. With your help, I'm much more likely to survive. And if I die, it will be because you abandoned me. Without another word, Valen set off down the steel-plated hallway. Deonera would have backed these travelers into the same corner, he was sure, but she would have felt badly about it. Valen didn't. He would have been perfectly happy to hunt the creature alone, but if she followed, perhaps Roshan would get a little bit of the credit. Only seconds later, three more sets of footsteps followed him. Several hours after Valen's conversation with Roshan, he knelt on a metal ledge, looking down into a cavernous steel bowl. Blindfolded, Lieutenant Roshan crouched at the center of the bowl. His golden medallion hung around her neck. They needed bait for the struggle, and at first Valen intended to use himself. He found a likely spot to set up a trap, a room with lots of the dark tunnel entrances Strugel's preferred, close to where it had carried out its earlier killings. When he started tying the blindfold around his own eyes, Roshan had stopped him. You fought these things before, she'd said. Are you afraid of them? Well, no. Then that settles it. They're attracted to fear. I've never seen one of these things before. I've only seen what they can do to my men. I'm terrified. And somehow Valen found himself prepared to carry out an ambush while Roshan sat out there waiting for one. He had faith in their chances of attracting a struggle. The hunter was obviously very active, considering its recent body count, and the conditions were perfect. As long as Roshan was genuinely shaken, they had a good trap, assuming they could kill the creature once they caught it. Strugels may have originated in Asphodel, but they were adapted to life in Ornheim. Their hides were covered in thick, stony plates that would turn any blade short of a pickaxe. For the two Strugels Valen had killed before, he had lured one into an ambush of fireball-wielding Naraka travelers and crushed the other beneath a giant boulder. Valen had heard great things about the superiority of Tartarus steel blades, but if they could pierce the hide of an Ornheim predator like a Strugel, he would buy one of those weapons for himself. Maybe Deonira could get him one. He waited in silence as two hours stretched into three. It wouldn't have surprised him to spend an entire night waiting patiently for the struggle to arrive, but obviously it had instructions to strike early and often. At the edge of the metal bowl, a flicker of movement caught Valen's attention. He stared into the shadows, trying to figure out whether his eyes were tricking him. The darkness shifted again, and a brown-black lump slid into view. It looked like a starving man strapped with stone armor. Slatted ribs pressed against thin, flaky skin underneath heavy blocks of granite, its arms tapered to black spear points at the end. He couldn't see anything like hands or claws. As he had recalled, the face was the worst. Its mouth was a circular, sucking vortex full of teeth, its eyes huge moons of milky white. It was a face bred for inspiring nightmares in children. Luckily, or perhaps not, Valen had seen worse. Quietly, he signaled the other two travelers, gesturing down toward the creature. 
Roshan couldn't see his gestures from behind her blindfold, but it seemed she sensed something. She froze as soon as the Strugal emerged from the shadows, slowly turning her head to face the monster. The traveler nearest to Valen reached over, lifting the lid of a long silver treasure chest. He had insisted on picking it up from a Damascan armory before they set this ambush. Across the room, on the opposite side of the great steel bowl, the other male Tartarus traveler raised one hand in front of him. A spinning blade the size of a cartwheel erupted into the air out of the silver chest, so big it seemed like it couldn't possibly have fit inside. Almost soundlessly, it whirred into the air and spun into the traveler's waiting hand. The closer soldier reached into the chest with one hand. When he pulled it out, the hand was covered by a gleaming silver gauntlet. So quietly, Valen almost couldn't believe it, more pieces of armor flew from the chest and assembled themselves on the traveler's waiting body. In only a few seconds, and with less sound than a clattering teacup, the soldier of Tartarus was covered by a suit of polished steel. Unaware, the Strugal crept closer toward Lieutenant Roshan. It scuttled like a crab, though it only had four limbs, inching sideways and lurching forward as though nervous. Right now, the medallion she wore should be warning her of the Strugal's approach. She would be ready to attack when the time came. Valen placed his hand on the hilt of his sword. The three travelers would attack first. With any luck, they would finish it off before he managed to climb down. If not, he stayed in reserve. Everything had lined up exactly as they had planned. With a grinding squeal of shifting gears, the labyrinth changed. The bowl slid back, bringing the Strugal and Lieutenant Roshan away from the rest of the room. Valen's ledge raised even higher and the room widened, separating him from his allied traveler on the other side. Great, Valen thought. Now it's going to take me forever to climb down. It actually took him another second to realize the real problem. Now, even the two Tartarus travelers were too far away. The Strugal would get the first strike. Go now, Valen hissed to the traveler next to him. I'll catch up. But the man didn't leave. He reached into the chest and pulled out one of the strangest swords Valen had ever seen. It was long, clearly meant to be used with both hands and slightly curved. The sheath still covered its blade, but Valen knew it would only be sharp along the outside edge. The traveler leaned back, poised to throw the sheathed sword like a javelin. Lieutenant, he bellowed and launched the sword like a ballista. It shot straight for Lieutenant Roshan, who did not turn toward the sound of her subordinate's voice as Valen had expected she would. Instead, she turned to face the Strugal and tore her blindfold off. For a split second, as the curved sword flew through the air, she stared into the Strugal's horrific, milky eyes. And without looking, she reached up and caught her sword in her left hand. In one smooth motion, she pulled the sword from its sheath and swept its edge toward her opponent. Valen didn't watch how it turned out. He started to scramble down the side of his steel cliff. The landscape was made up almost entirely of interlocking steel plates, and he cut himself more than once, but he knew he would need to get down there as fast as possible. The Strugal's preferred method of attack was ambush, terrifying the victim into paralysis before impaling them on its spear-like arms and draining them of blood. But if it was confronted, it would not run away and seek other prey, as would many predators. Instead, it hunched into an almost turtle-like defensive stance, using its stony armored plates to defend itself as it continued to force its victim into a corner. Only when it had no other options would it finally flee. In this situation, the Strugal running was probably a worst-case scenario. 
it would be free to hunt on its own, and there was no realistic chance of tracking it down a second time before it killed again. They had to kill it before it either devoured Lieutenant Roshan or decided to run. Why did the room have to shift? Valen wondered. Why then, at that exact time? If the bowl had stayed in place, the travelers could have killed the creature instantly from a safe range. If the steel labyrinth was self-aware, it had a sick sense of humor. On the far side of the room, the traveler with the bladed disc hurled it toward the strugal. Closer to Valen, the man covered in armor leaped down from the ledge, landing easily on the ground twenty feet below. Obviously, the armor reinforced his body somehow, which Valen deeply envied at the moment. I'd give my left leg for strength like that right now. He wouldn't mind the armor part either, to tell the truth. His fingers were bleeding from a dozen little cuts. When he finally reached the bowl, the three Tartarus travelers had things well in hand. The one with the disc waited high on his ledge, throwing it every few seconds and calling it back to his hand. It didn't do much damage to the rocky monster of Ornheim, but it left little chips of stone in its wake. It seemed the armored traveler's job was to keep the strugal from reaching its prey. Every time the creature got close to stabbing Roshan, the man pulled it backwards. Roshan herself used her gleaming blade to deflect strike after strike, occasionally flickering out to draw blood. Delay tactics, Valen realized. They were holding it there, chipping away at the predator little by little, waiting for it to succumb to its wounds and die. Not a bad strategy, but if this kept up, Valen wouldn't get his chance to fight. The whole trip would be a waste. Apparently, the Strugal heard his thoughts, because the creature's head twisted almost backwards on its neck, its two white lantern eyes staring him straight in the face. Its round mouth let out a growling shriek, and it slipped through the armored traveler's gauntlets to scuttle straight toward Valen. It seemed to prefer weaker prey. Valen drew his sword and held a basic stance, blade up, feet apart, crouched on the balls of his feet. A smile tugged at the corners of his lips. This wasn't perhaps the most efficient way of getting rid of the creature, but Naraka take him if it wasn't more fun. The strugal opened with a probing jab of its spear arm that Valen had no trouble deflecting. The second had a little more spirit behind it. Rather than trying a third time, the strugal hissed and rushed in, loping straight forward with both arms extended. Valen twisted to the side and put his whole body behind a thrust to the strugal's relatively unarmored chest. Then Tartarus played yet another underhanded trick on him. His sword bent and snapped off, clinging as it struck the metal floor. Without missing a step, Valen threw his hilt aside. If he tried to back off, the Strugal would simply stab him through the back, so he leaped forward. He didn't have anything like the strength it would take to wrestle with the creature evenly, but he would settle for not getting stabbed. Awkwardly, he pushed at the Strugal's arms with hands and feet, trying to keep it entangled long enough for Lieutenant Roshan to strike the final blow. Over the monster's plated shoulder, he happened to catch a glimpse of Roshan's eyes. She had her curved sword held in both hands and was almost here. He hoped he could hang on long enough for her to get there and stab the monster through. Wait, come to think of it, how will I get out of the way when she does? She won't stab me, will she? This was a bad plan. Instead of crossing the last few paces to him, though, she stopped, drew one arm back, and threw her sword forward. Is she trying to hit this thing with her thrown sword? Valen thought. People tried it occasionally, but it never worked. Never. If she managed to kill a struggle with it, he was going to apprentice himself to this woman and never leave until he learned her miraculous sword-throwing secrets. 
The sword didn't fly nearly as straight as it had earlier. It looped and wobbled through the air. Oh, she's not throwing it at the Strugel. She's throwing it to me. If anything, the thought was even less comforting, but still interesting. He couldn't deny he liked the idea of finishing off this creature himself. He had to let go of one of the Strugel's arms, potentially freeing it to stab him in the back, to reach up and snatch the hilt of the lieutenant's sword. He was face to face with the Strugel's whirling, circular mouth, close enough to smell the iron on its breath. His body was pressed against the creature's unarmored underbelly. He had the perfect chance. So he grabbed the hilt of the sword in both hands and drove it down, putting three and a half feet of steel into the monster's guts. It spasmed as it died, leaking strangely dark blood all over the place. Valen stepped back to avoid getting more blood on his skin than he absolutely had to. He pulled the sword out with him, and it slid from the monster's body with miraculous ease. I need to get one of these swords, he said. They're incredible. Lieutenant Roshan's grin made her look ten years younger. Come and see me in the forges, and I'll show you how they're made. We'll have plenty of time, since I suspect I'll be on forge duty for the next few weeks, if not the rest of my natural life. Valen reversed the bloody sword and held it out to her, hilt first. I might take you up on that. But who says you'll be punished at all? We caught the thing, didn't we? She took the sword from him and began wiping the blade down with a thick cloth she produced from her pocket. Not enough, I'm afraid. It was your plan that worked and you that struck the final blow. Thank you, by the way. Tartarus travelers and their honor. They could be even more confusing than the labyrinth itself. If you knew that... Why did you toss me the sword? Why didn't you wait and kill it yourself? Roshan moved around to the armored traveler, helping him out of his breastplate. Apparently, he couldn't just conjure it off the same way he could summon it on. I knew you had the better shot, she said. That was what mattered. Besides, it's not like this is over. We still don't know who summoned it in the first place. Sure you do, Valen said. Enosh, it's always Enosh. We'll have to be more specific, I'm afraid. Valen nodded absently, still looking at the Strugel's corpse. That's it for me, though. My job's done. I was almost hoping it would take longer. Hoping you would run into a dragon? The armored man asked. His voice was somewhat muffled by the helmet. Valen spread his hands helplessly. Not entirely. The territories are fascinating. I can never see enough of them. I've never spent much time in Tartarus before, so I was hoping to get to know it a little better. He hesitated, then added, and you never know, maybe there are dragons here after all. Lieutenant Roshan shrugged. Well, good luck to you. Tell the queen we were grateful for your assistance, and hers. If it helps, I've heard rumors of fire-breathing snakes with golden scales. Not dragons, exactly, but close. It's just a tale we used to keep the novices up at night, one of the men put in. But as you said, you never know. Valen had certainly followed up on less. Where? he asked. Supposedly in the center of the labyrinth. He picked up his satchel, slinging it over one shoulder. Can you point me in the right direction? It's a labyrinth, Lieutenant Roshan said. That's more than a name. It's a big maze. So, no one knows where the center is. Oh, well, he would find it himself. He liked things better that way. Before I forget, Roshan said, and tossed him his gold medallion. I had a real battle with myself about giving that back to you. It may have saved my life today. The voice is eerie, though. Valen snatched the medallion out of the air and tucked it away in his satchel. He hadn't forgotten. Part of him had been hoping that Roshan would stay quiet and try to keep the artifact for herself. He should have known better. 
You wouldn't be willing to part with your sword, would you? Valen asked hopefully. I could make a trade. She laughed. Pick one up yourself. There are plenty around here. If you want a good one, though, you'll have to come see me in the forges. Oh, well, it was worth a try. Valen raised a hand in farewell and headed out of the room and back into the razor-filled hallway. He had a few days before Deyanira expected him back, maybe as much as a week. The wanderer walked deeper into the steel labyrinth, looking for dragons. You will find that the red light of diligence shines strongly in the labyrinth, for many of its travelers hold fast to the old ways. Rather than guiding them, we must ask them to guide us. Elysian Book of Virtues, Chapter 6, Red Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was Steel Labyrinth by Will White, read by Travis Baldry. The next episode will be available on the day the Caterpillar of Ages consumes the last leaf on the Sacred Dawn Tree. Until that time, remember, you may not be watching gnomes, but they're always watching you.